0: Welcome to Curated Conversations from the Center for Strategic and International Studies, bringing you the best events each week from the world's number one defense and national security think tank. To explore the hundreds of events we host each year, visit us at CSIS.org. Thank you all for being with us this Friday afternoon. Uh, We have an outstanding opportunity to hear um, from the First Lady of Afghanistan at uh, what continues to be it's been an important year for Afghanistan and is going to continue to be an important year for Afghanistan and for the relationship of the United States with Afghanistan. Uh, We've been partners for uh, nearly 20 years now in uh, working to help bring stability and prosperity and uh, representative government to uh, that part of the world and to Afghanistan itself and um, the the Ghanis, both partners, Ashraf Ghani, the president, and Rula Ghani, have been key players in that effort. Um, one in the forefront as a government official, and the other uh, reaching out and talking with uh, important members of society, in particular women in Afghanistan. And we know that there has been tremendous progress made by women in Afghanistan, as, uh, as evidenced by the opportunities to go to school, by the provision of health care, um, greatly reducing the number of mothers dying during childbirth. But there's a tremendous amount still to do, we all know. Um, but Ruligani has been a tireless champion and worker to help move this process forward. And, uh, and is of very importance right now at this time to make sure that women's voices are being heard and are being integrated into the decision-making processes that are taking place as, as we all hope Afghanistan is moving uh, steadily toward peace in the direction of peace, even if not steadily on a week-to-week basis. But that that is the direction we all hope that Afghanistan will be moving. And so uh, we're very, very fortunate to have the opportunity to have the First Lady of Afghanistan here to share uh, insights into the work she's been doing for the last five years now, and where we hope to go in the months ahead. So please let me introduce and welcome uh, Rula Ghani, First Lady of Afghanistan to be us.
1: And thank you for taking a Friday afternoon to come and listen to me. I hope it will be worth it. Um, I just want to first start by saying there are two reasons why I want to speak up. Uh, one is that uh, um, it so happens that I've come on the week of Veterans Day and Veterans Week, and I think it gives me a good opportunity to thank all the people, all the Americans, that have sacrificed sometimes their lives or their health uh, to help Afghanistan. And that I want to assure you that their sacrifice has not been in vain. And the reason I'm saying that it has not been in vain, because unlike what you might read in the press or you might be hearing, Uh, The country is not crumbling. There's no article I read about Afghanistan where they don't use the adjective crumbling. The country is not crumbling. The government is getting stronger by the day. And as Ambassador Wayne has just said, there are a lot of achievements. And you have helped create those achievements. You have helped create the atmosphere for a new country a new, a strong country because this government is going to be a strong government. That said, let me also state that uh, I'm here talking as myself. I happen to be the wife of the president, but I'm not in the government. So what you'll hear is not the official line, but what you'll hear is what I hear from the people that come and see me. You know, I have a little office. And uh, because I don't move a lot, I have an open-door policy, and uh, people have taken the habit of coming and seeing me. I usually see groups of people, not too many individuals, because I don't deal with individual problems like uh, I need to have an operation, or I need a job, or, uh, you know, these kind of things. I cannot... We are almost 36 million of people. I cannot attend to every Afghan, but I can attend to groups. And uh, I love listening to people. I love trying to find out what their problems are and uh, talk with them about what kind of solutions they could find and to advocate for them. So basically, um, what I will be saying is a little bit what I hear from everyone. And I do hear a lot, as I was saying a few minutes ago with a, another group, uh, I usually get the gossips before my husband. <laughs> so uh, so this being said, it gives you co- the context in which I'll be I'll be talking and discussing things with Ambassador Wayne. Thank you.
0: Okay, is this working? everybody can hear. Well, why don't we start off where you you ended up, it's been five years now that you've had that little office listening to people. Mm-hmm. What changes have you observed during that period of time? How has the dialogue evolved with uh, the Afghans that come in to talk to you?
1: The changes are enormous. I mean, the changes are intangible, are incredible. People are so much more vocal, so much more articulate, so uh, much more creative, thinking about what they can do and what uh, what, uh, they can start. Uh, In the beginning, it was, uh, you know, the the people were somewhat timid and uh, uh, trying to figure out uh, what is this new new person that's coming and uh, opening the doors of the palace. Before that, the palace was not open to the public. And uh, so uh, the difference is I find a greater vitality among the people. And I find that uh, uh, they have been encouraged to speak up. And well, we'll go into details as you ask the questions. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, in fact, over the past two years, there, oh. it's been clear that Afghans of all on all parts of the political spectrum long for peace. Yes, and You have as part of your dialogue and part of your effort have been encouraging Mm -hmm. women to discuss these issues um, To form their own thinking and then to share those thoughts Could you talk a little bit about that process and what you've heard from women and how you You've seen their willingness to participate evolve Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, what? Uh, yeah, I'm going to put this on my head. Maybe my microphone will work better. Yes. If you want, I'll speak up. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. So basically, uh, in the past two years, and it's probably a topic of the hour, which is uh, the possibility of bringing peace to our country. Already from the start, people, when they talked, spoke to me, always complained that uh, we're tired of war, we want peace. And slowly, slowly, it became uh, a much larger uh, uh, sound and much louder uh, uh, declaration that people wanted to have a normal life. And uh, women in particular, because women take care of the house, take care of the children, they would say, uh, I worry every morning when my children go to school, are they going to come back or will there be a bomb on the way? Uh, So uh, once in February 2018, uh, President Ghani announced that he was ready to start negotiation with the Taliban. Uh, everybody was so happy. Everybody said, okay, we're going finally to have peace. But we all know peace takes time. And uh, we have uh, been uh, talking about it. I'm sure the government has had uh, pre-negotiations uh, trying to prepare the ground. And uh, But what, had, what has happened is that uh, people started... Uh, embracing it and starting talk about it as if it's something that is going to happen for sure and you know we uh we had a very successful uh ceasefire for three days right after that declaration there was it was Eid. it's one of the religious festivals and uh, my husband said we'll have a ceasefire for uh he wants he did, Yes, he made a declaration that we'll have a ceasefire for a week. And the Taliban said, OK, we'll do it for three days, because the Egypt generally is three to four days. And it was incredible. Young Taliban's came to the urban centers. Uh, they left their arms uh, at the entrance and were able to go freely. Uh, to see people. People embraced them, welcomed them. They were surprised. And because it was a religious festival, the mosques were open. There were people praying. They went into the mosque. They found out that, well, this is the same kind of prayers we're doing. It's the same thing. So it was really a very uh, important um, experience for them. And actually, a few of the younger ones decided, okay, let me find a different job than being a Talib. And maybe this is why ever since that very successful ceasefire, whenever the government asks, let's do a ceasefire, or whenever even at the Doha talks, they were asked, can you do a ceasefire? And they say, no, no ceasefire. It shows their insecurity. They're worried that if ever this fire happens, a lot of their combatants will leave. Anyway, so uh, to make the, a long story very short, uh, so the government was engaged into pre-negotiation. And then uh, um, uh, I think uh, in December of 2018, uh, we woke up uh, to uh, Mr. Trump tweeting that uh, all troops need to be removed from Afghanistan which is something that's logical that they've been there for 18 years and uh, uh, it is time that they should be moved and the answer of the government was to send a letter saying okay we do have this uh, treaty between us and uh, uh, which is called the BSA, Bilateral Security Agreement. Let's discuss it within the treaty and let's do it gradually so that we don't have, uh, um, we, we can adapt to the transition. Uh, unfortunately, and I'm not privy, I'm not the government. So I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that sometime in March, we found out that America is talking to the Taliban in Doha. And uh, we were not told beforehand. And the uh, the envoy who shuttled between Doha and then to Kabul to supposedly tell us what we he was doing, never, I mean, he would talk, but he would never give a written report. It was never clear what he was discussing. So. We've had this since March, and you know, uh, it eventually uh, did not come to fruition when uh, uh, President Trump decided that that was it, he didn't want to have those talks anymore. I think it was in September that he said that. Anyway, but the reason I'm mentioning that is that the Doha talks brought a lot of anxiety to the Afghans because they were not told what was happening. And the ones that were the most uh, perturbed about it were the women, because it's very clear that uh, the Taliban have a very particular way of looking at women and uh, of saying what is their place in society that's very different from what the women now enjoy in Afghanistan of today. And uh, so the women really were very vocal and you must have seen that in the media in uh, either making declaration or being in the round tables or being, uh, 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 writing op-eds or reaching out to, they may have reached out to some of you because they reached out to their uh, sisters all over the world. And uh, from that started the discussion. What is it that we can negotiate? What is it we, what kind of results do we want at the end? What are the things we cannot live without? It was very important. Slowly, men also took part in the uh, in the discussion, but they were more cautious at first. The women were the one who started very strongly, and uh, um, there have been a flurry of discussions, of uh, uh, events, uh, conferences uh, from. Uh, uh, civil society, from embassies, from international aid agencies. It doesn't, a week doesn't go by that there is somewhere, some big discussion about uh, what is peace, how should we bring it about, and what are our red lines. And the discussion was a long process, several months. But very quickly, people realized that there was one document, an official document, that really protected the rights they enjoyed at this time and their access to services and the achievements they have made. And that document is the Afghan constitution. So this is why you will hear people saying, my red line is Afghan constitution, kind of telescoping the whole argument in just one sentence. And at first, you might think, okay, uh, it's, an empty, it's an empty slogan. It's not. The Constitution says very clearly that all Afghans are equal. No Afghan is better or worse than another Afghan. That men and women are equal. And that they're all equally, um, uh, equally have the right to access health services, education services legal services. Another point that for me was extremely interesting is that in the Constitution, there is also the kind of economy we're having. And it states that we will have a free market economy. So all the business people now suddenly say, no, we want this Constitution. This this protects our right to be able to uh, transact uh, 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 do our, uh, our work, uh, work with other countries, bring, uh, bring things without having the government interfering or planifying what we can do and what we cannot do. So in a way, uh, I'm happy that there were the Doha talks because it brought all this discussion and it brought a clarity to the people of Afghanistan and a um, unified voice. Uh, you know, we have freedom of speech in Afghanistan and it's not a joke. We really have freedom of speech. Uh, my husband is often uh, insulted on the, <laughs> in public uh, debates. Uh, I sometimes suffer some criticism, uh, but um, uh, we can take it because we're comfortable with what we're doing. We don't, uh, you know, everybody has their own opinion. Uh, the result of the freedom of speech is that uh, in the month of August, when well, we were celebrating our 100th anniversary of um, independence from the British, uh, there were a lot of programs on TV, historical programs, uh, debates, uh, and everybody was watching TV and I was watching too. And I had the chance to see uh, two different debates in which one member of the panel was a talib. And I had the chance to hear in their own words what they were saying. And unfortunately, they have not changed their mind about women. They still say that we are that were the exact words which mean incomplete brains and very poor knowledge of religion. So we're very clear about this. They tell us all oh, the Taliban have changed. They now are respectful for the women. In some of the um, uh, some of the uh, mm. any uh, occasional, uh, I would not call them meetings. They will open the door to the women. They will let her go. This is this is a big change. Well, but they still think that the women cannot think and know nothing about religion. So uh, f- as far as I'm concerned, there is a lot to be done before we can reach an agreement. In, another, in the other panel, what had happened is that uh, one person had asked them, okay, you want to come and govern Afghanistan. So what is your plan for the economic development of the country? And the man said, oh, it's very simple. We'll apply whatever we have learned in madrasas. They don't teach economy in madrasas. So uh, are they ready to govern? In the five years they were in Afghanistan, because they were only there for five years from 96 to 2001. Did they manage to govern the country? I'm not quite sure. I arrived early 2002, and I had to look high and low to find a little plastic pocket that I needed to use in my house. So um, yes, peace is definitely on the docket. We want peace. How we're going to achieve it is still a big question.
0: So what kind of steps do you think can help bridge these gaps that you've just talked about between the perceptions of the government, not just the government, non-Talib Afghans Mm -hmm. and the Taliban? How can can we start working to build that trust and confidence and, and understanding to make peace more possible?
1: I, th- I think, unfortunately, it's going to take time because the Doha talks went directly to the Taliban. And by w- going directly by the, uh, to the Taliban and co- uh, short-circuiting the government, the Americans have elevated the Taliban and have given them a lot of uh, misconceptions of their own importance. So. Uh, The essential thing is that Afghan Taliban are Afghans. We have a country that's called Afghanistan. And as Afghans, they should have the right to be there and to live there if so they wish. But they should come as Afghans. Can they come as Taliban? This is where the question gets to be a little more complicated, because they want to have in emirates an Islamic emirate. And we have worked hard the past 18 years to create an Islamic republic. And the difference between the two is that the emirate means that you'll have a few at the top that are deciding what everybody else has to do. Whereas the republic and the way it is being Uh, implemented and understood in uh, Afghanistan, is a place where everybody is a citizen. And as a citizen, they have a right to speak, the right to voice their uh, opinion, and they have also a responsibility towards the country to make something out of this country. And I feel that the Afghan people have understood that it I mean, at first it was a little bit difficult to absorb, assimilate, because for the past 100 years, whether it was a monarchy or a republic by the cousin of the king, or the successive uh, uh, party uh, uh, autocratic regimes, or the, uh, after the parties we had uh, the Mujahideen who didn't really have a regime, so there were seven people who were supposed to take turn every three months, uh, take turn governing the country. Or the Taliban were kind of an autocratic uh, theocracy. It was always a small group of people deciding for everyone. Now it's different. And people now have a sense of ownership that this is their country. They can do something to do it, uh, to uh, improve it. Young people come and tell me. We want, this is our country, we want to make it pretty, we want to make it strong, we want to do, we want to contribute to its economy. So I'm not quite sure that the, uh, the way I read the situation, I'm not quite sure that the people of Afghanistan today are ready to relinquish their rights and their responsibilities as citizens. So here we have a problem because the Taliban are insisting on an emirate. And keep in mind, how many, uh, how many people are the Taliban? I have no idea the numbers. But outside of Afghanistan, maybe 60,000. And inside of Afghanistan, we have almost 36 million people. So is it logical that 60,000, come and impose their way of thinking on such a larger number of people. This is why I say it's going to take time.
0: I understand. So in that connection, what's your perception of the security situation? Since there has been a lot of fighting, Mm -hmm. there have been too many civilian casualties in general, too many innocent people being killed, unfortunately. Uh, the the Taliban, of course, seem at times to boast about their military prowess. But what's your perspective from, from where you sit?
1: Again, here I have a little bit of a beef with the media. Because whenever you read an article on uh, Afghanistan, they always say, oh, the Taliban control half of the country. They control two-thirds of the country. Uh, they are, uh, you know... The government is not in control. So before coming, because security is not my, my work. But of course, I live in a country where I have to be aware of what, uh, what is the situation. But I asked from a professional, uh, where are the uh, Taliban in control? What part of Afghanistan the Taliban are in control of? And the answer was, of the 364 districts, we have 34 provinces that are divided in 364 districts. The Taliban control, fully control, 12 districts. That doesn't mean they are in control of half the country or two thirds of the country. Other thing, the Taliban are Afghans. So they're free to go and, uh, and come, they're free to, Uh, uh, go in every corner of the country, and their modus operandi, the way they operate uh, uh, is uh, hit and run, you know, or suicide bombing. So, uh, yes, they can create havoc in all of Afghanistan. They're not in control of it. So my perception of the security is that eventually with the government becoming more and more organized, with especially the uh, ministries of uh, the security, uh, the security ministry, which is Ministry of Interior, Ministry of Defense, and the NDS, the Intelligence, uh, are going to slowly be able to take care of all this unrestness and restlessness and they, they, they are going to be able to uh, reduce the ability of the Taliban to hit and run and to create havoc in Afghanistan. Uh, I don't know if, you, if it was really very much talked about in the news. Uh, in Badakhshan, they have already cleaned that province It was a haven for the Taliban. And recently, as I was leaving for coming here, it was the, uh, the turn of Ningarhar, where Jalalabad is, where not only the Taliban but also Daesh has been kicked out from the places. I mean, they had bases and things of the sort. So um, I know you're going to tell me probably they'll come back. It's possible that they will be back and forth. But still, they're not, no longer secure, these areas are no longer secure for them. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, but again, it will take a long time.
0: Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Should we invite some questions from uh, those who are here? Let's make sure our colleagues have microphones all right. Why don't we start up here in in the front?
1: Thank you very much. Thank you so much. My name is Nazira Azim Karimi. I am independence Afghan journalist. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. Assalamu alaikum. alaikum. Mm-hmm. May I ask my question in Dari, please? Uh, I'll translate. Okay. I know. Because I'm li- uh, live in my friend in Facebook, they keep asking questions. One question regarding uh, current situation, lack of security in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mother lost two kids. Yes. 12 years old and 10 years old, sister and brother. As a mother, I know it, you feel sad about that. Do you have any message for
2: their mothers? And also, a, cigar, a recent report was very negative regarding Afghanistan. Do you have any comment about it? Okay. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Uh, first of all, uh, for the mother, I want to present my condolences. That's a limit uh, Madar Madaras, it's the worst thing is for a mother to, uh, to lose her children. Uh, as far as cigar is concerned, I think it's good to have cigar being always uh, uh, attentive to whether there is corruption or not in Afghanistan because uh, uh, there is no doubt that there has been a period where there was a lot of corruption and we're trying to attend to it so um but sometimes uh cigars uh cigars mandate is to uh uh is to uh make sure that it is the american institution are not uh, uh dispersing money in the in, in the wrong way and uh, that is something totally acceptable uh but I know nothing about what people do or don't do, and I'm sure that there are people who are annoyed with that because probably they probably stopped them from doing some of their schemes. You. You're welcome.
0: Um, can we go right over here, the gentlemen, then we'll come over on this side.
3: Thank you so much, and salaam hmm. alaikum. Salaam alaikum. Uh, my name is Abdul Bari, I'm a graduate student and also director of um, Afghan uh, US NGO. Here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, my question is regarding the woman involvement in the peace process. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, so far, in the dialogues and discussion that we had, uh, women were excluded. We had just few women in the dialogues in uh, Doha, Qatar and also in uh, Moscow. Um, uh, and um, women are the one the, the, the most uh, they got hurt from the mm-hmm. Taliban and the fight in Afghanistan. If the peace talks and especially in the, um, we reach in the point where the intra afghan dialogue start again soon. Uh, What is your initiative to include more women in the process? And also, do you personally plan to uh, take part in the intra afghan dialogues? Thank you.
1: Okay, uh, so you're talking about women and peace. Um, The participation in the Doha talks and the Moscow talks, for me, uh, these talks were not about peace. These talks were, were about uh, political Muamala, uh, How do you say that in English? <laughs> uh, you understand those of you who are often exchange trades. Right. I mean it 's kind of more like a trade uh, trading of uh, who should do what and everything like that. Um, and yes, the women were not uh, uh, many and uh, uh, but still, uh, it's not. this is why I don't give much importance, neither, neither to the Doha talks nor to the Moscow talks, because they don't involve the population of Afghanistan. It's the people of Afghanistan who have to accept whatever conditions for peace we arrive at with the Taliban. Because if ever it doesn't happen like that, within two months, within three months, whatever uh, uh, negotiation, uh, whatever peace, nego- uh, peace uh, document we arrive at without people's participation uh, will, will, be, uh, will be completely uh, uh, nullified. So it's not only the women. It's the people of Afghanistan, men and women, who have to be part of the discussion. And this is why I'm very happy to say that in the past few months, we have had ongoing discussions. And uh, we have had a lot of back and forth. And we have had all sorts of opinions. So I feel that the people of Afghanistan have really matured when it comes to peace and know exactly what they want. Now, you, you mentioned intra-Afghan talks. I would prefer much better to say Afghan-led and Afghan-owned talks. Intra-Afghan does not mean anything. It means that you bring two Afghans and you let them talk to each other. We don't need people to bring us. We know how to do it. And in the Afghan-led, Afghan-owned discussions, uh, there will be, um, uh, it will be, the government will be leading it because the government is the one who is waging the war. So they are the ones who have to lead it. But the government is committed to have the people at the table. We have already had many meetings. Uh, through my office we already have uh, uh, made a consultation in thirty four different the thirty four provinces. We went and talked with the women. We asked them, What is peace for you? What are the obstacles for peace? How do you think we can reach peace? So we have listened to 15,000 women, what they have said. And we have, at the end of it, it's not just my office. It's my office, women from the High Peace Council, women from uh, the Ministry of Women's Affairs, and women from the Ministry of Information and Culture, and uh, AWN, uh, Afghan Women Network, the, uh, that's a civil society. It's a very large group of uh, NGOs. We have gone, we have made that effort. We have gone and spoken to the women because it's easier to go to the people than have them come to you. And we have listened to them, and we have collected what they have said, and we have put it together. They made different declaration. We finally uh, arrived at the uh, unified declaration. And we had, on February 28, 2018, no, 2019, just before the Doha talk started, we had a, a final gathering in Kabul, in the Loyjerga uh, building uh, of, there were about 3,000 women that were there. 700 of them were women from the provinces that we had visited and had talked. So we brought 700 women from uh, the provinces and Uh, The day before, these 700 women with 100 women from Kabul sat down, read the declaration, discussed it, made amendments article by article. They even added one article. And then they signed it. We have three big sheets of 800 signatures for that. This declaration, if ever we have uh, uh, the Afghan-led, Afghan-owned... This declaration will be in the hand of every person at that table, whether they're men or women, and they will have to abide by it. So, um, if you read the media, you seem to think that, uh, okay, there is. Uh, uh, these poor Afghans, they're not able to do peace, uh, we need to help them. We have not waited for them to come and help. And I. I have my doubts that it was peace that was being discussed. Basically, they say what was discussed was the withdrawal of troops. They should discuss it with the government, because they're withdrawing from our country. Anyway, we'll see. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much. My name is Paolo von Schirach. I'm the president of the Global Policy Institute and uh, professor at Bay Atlantic University. Incidentally, we have many students from Afghanistan at our university. I'm very pleased to say they're good students and doing uh, doing great. My question to you, madam, is, uh, assuming the best scenario that you said peace is possible and achievable, there is obviously the huge uh, problem of economic development in Afghanistan, and of course a very young population, many people, many young people, and of course many women, as you pointed out, who want to be integrated you know, sooner rather than later. in the the workforce what do you see as the most uh, obvious uh, next steps assuming that things go well on the on the peace front uh, you know as we all would like to see in terms of of encouraging economic development in other words what sectors do you think are the most promising in particular as we're here in washington and you're talking to americans what would you like americans to do in terms of providing incentives capital you know, know how, infrastructure, whatever may be uh, the needs of the country. So what do you see the best uh, road for a more faster economic development? Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Um, We we are already engaged on that road. We have, uh, um, uh, I have less uh, detailed information on this because this is not my, uh, what I do every day, but uh, we have, uh, in the government, there have been a lot of efforts to create markets abroad, to open air corridors. It used to be that our only uh, link with outside was through uh, to through Pakistan. And if Pakistan, uh, and the people know that because they themselves, they come and tell me, it used to be when the Pakistani would close the borders, uh, within two days, everything uh, uh, would become so expensive. Uh, 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 they, they, they were killing us, they would say. But anyway, this is no longer the case. Uh, we have had a policy of opening uh, to all of Central Asia, and uh, uh, there is a lot of trade that's ongoing, but we also have had a policy of air corridors And uh, our merchants now are able to send uh, their uh, their products uh, outside. So it's it's a beginning, but it is going in the right direction. Uh, For example, uh, my husband is fond of always talking about the pinolas, the pine trees, uh, uh, pine nuts, nuts. and uh, there is a great market for it in in China. But what had happened, because these were the southern provinces that produced that, Pakistani would buy it at a very uh, low price and uh, export it to China. So we've short-circuited that. Now they're doing it directly. And now there are some people in hosts in Bakhtia who are making a good living. Um, We hope to do the same with pomegranate uh, in Kandahar and around it. Uh, Marble is one uh, commodity that uh, apparently we have uh, some beautiful marble that can, uh, of the quality of the Carrara marble in Italy. And so uh, as uh, the uh, Italian quarries uh, have less and less uh, products to send, maybe Afghanistan can take uh, over. Uh, We have a lot of things and people are thinking um, uh, thinking through these uh, things, so see the possibilities. It's not the government just opens the doors, and then you, ha- you have to remember that we have always been a country where merchants and traders uh, were very active. Uh, we had the uh, Silk Road. We had uh, uh, we had a lot of. Uh, 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 exchange, you know also that the uh, concept of the check, writing checks, which is uh, no longer that much a thing here in, uh, in, uh, in America when I come, I never write a check, it's always a credit card. But the check, the concept of checks, started in that area of the world. So it shows you that exchange and the trade routes and things uh, are in the blood of uh, Afghanistan and Afghans. So, that part of it is ongoing. Uh, I think there is going to be a very strong effort for food security. So, agriculture is going to uh, uh, become uh, much stronger. And agriculture is a place where women are very active. And uh, we already have, through the Ministry of Agriculture, a department of Home economy. I think it was ekstasi family or whatever something. Mm-hmm. Family, economy, family economy that addresses the women that are uh, uh, working in agriculture. So uh, this is one thing. I know there are young people who are doing design. I've met with some people who are doing cartoons. Uh, we have filmmakers. We have. Uh, uh, we have people who are opening restaurants, opening ice cream parlors, uh, cupcakes, uh, parlor, whatever. I mean, we have yoga places. Uh, uh, people who have not been in Afghanistan for the past three or four years. Um, you're overdue a visit. You need to go and see because it has changed a lot. And uh, um, what can Americans do? I'm not really quite sure because... Um, uh, it depends. I know what they can do when it comes to women. They need to help provide better professional skills for the women. Women need training. It's good for them to be able to get jobs. It's good to, if they can get good at one thing, one, uh, uh, one trade or one uh, profession. This is how they'll earn respect. And they will earn a very important space in society, but if um, they only do know how to read and write and uh, do a few sadirat wa which is just kind of uh, uh, import export. This is not import export. Sadirat wa is in uh, in bureaucracy where you receive letters and you send letters. Correspondence, correspondence. correspondence yes, it's probably some correspondence. That's not enough. That's not going to give them a a place in society. So uh, my own uh, wish is that there would be more people who would be willing either to come and train them or to bring them here to train them. There's always a problem that they might want to stay here, not go back. So maybe train them in Afghanistan. Yes, there is insecurity, but we all live there. We're still alive. Okay,
0: two questions over here. Start with the young lady first.
1: Thank you, I'm Mahdab Farid with 670 AM radio and I proudly serve with Ambassador Wayne. Uh, First Lady Ghani, I don't want to ask about security, I want to ask about First Lady. You have inspired a lot of young women because before Taliban were there, they couldn't even stand next to their husband or their voice couldn't be heard. And now you're everywhere, you're standing, and you're walking in front of your husband. So how did you manage to do that? Okay, um, when people uh, look at me and tell me uh, uh, behind every strong man there is a smart woman, I say, I'm not behind, I'm beside, okay? I'm neither in the front nor in the back. We are working together. We are hamsar, whatever you want to call it um how do i do it i don't know i have not changed people have known me before that and there are a few here know that i'm still uh, the person i was before becoming first lady i um, i'm convinced that everybody has something good in them and the the point is to try and find what is that good thing in that person and to cultivate it And uh, um, I had also lived in Afghanistan. I got married in 75, so almost hitting the 45th anniversary. Uh, So I have lived in Afghanistan before the Civil War. And I have known the Afghan women. And uh, they were smart. They were uh, happy. They were, uh, they loved to joke. They loved humor. They loved to work. uh, I liked the Afghan women, and when I came after the Taliban and they were telling me, oh, women are victims, and they don't know, they, they cannot speak up, In this is the culture, and I said, no, this is not the culture. This is the effect of war, and we need to get back to what Afghanistan used to be before. And maybe this has helped the Afghan women, because I would tell them, talk to your grandmother. Let them tell you how it used to be. It does not need to be uh, some foreigner who comes and tells you, oh, you have rights. (laughs) I don't care about the rights that they want to give you. Talk to your grandmothers and find out how the women were respected before. And I did a lot of that in the first few years. And one of the things that I kept uh, repeating was mutual respect, (laughs) because in a traditional society, when you talk about respect, it is a concept that is acceptable by everyone. If you start talking about rights, everybody will say, "Okay, that's your right. What about my right?" Okay, especially men will say, "Women's right, women's right. I have rights too." Okay, so uh, I don't know how I did it. I just, and I love talking to people. I could, you can notice that. <laughs> so uh, I've, uh, I've been talking to people. Uh, as much as I could, I've been listening to people too. It's very important to listen because you cannot impose your view of things to the person. Uh, You might know the problem, but uh, uh, you need to understand the problem through the eyes of that person. So I hope I answered you.
0: Hi, Peter Simon with Capital Intelligence Greater Central Asia. My question is, just fits perfectly here. Will you be speaking with Ivanka Trump because she's been working with IFC very effectively of getting money to women-owned businesses in these markets? Uh, women run the best companies in all these fragile economies because they know what's important about getting things done. And this myth about you need security before investment is the biggest waste of time. It's jobs that. Defeat the Taliban and terrorism. When people grow their businesses, there's peace. Mm-hmm. Um, have you? Will you be talking to Miss uh, Ivanka Trump on this and possibly
3: the IFC?
1: I, I'm leaving soon, so uh, probably not this trip. But thank you for the suggestion.
0: One question way in the back there, waving their hand eagerly, and then I think this will be the last question.
2: Uh, Assalamualaikum. alaikum. I'm Khalidan Anawabi, one of the students in Washington, DC. Law School. Mm-hmm. I have my question regarding the peace talks uh, that happen in Doha, mm-hmm. actually Afghanistan government or the people are not let that participation that the Afghan government have done because they keep Afghanistan at the back step and making other countries like Pakistan or other related neighbors to be a part important than Afghanistan. So my question is that, so you're working with the president, of course, very close. What is the next step for the peace talk, especially that Afghan ideas and opinion regarding peace should be at the first, at the front, not behind the neighbors, and their point of view should be on the second opinion, not at the first? So my question would be, what's your plan for the next peace talk? And I will just make addition to the comments that Afghanistan has been always women participation. Our presidents in a monarchy and in all history, we had all the women working together, the president or whatever. But this Taliban period had made this short and make the people not to be a part of that. And I don't know, this minority group have affected our whole life that they, we should get rid of them soon as a peace struggle whatsoever. I know they are mm-hmm. a part of Afghanistan, but majority is a part of our neighbor countries, not Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: I want to thank you because you gave uh, this audience a uh, true example of what the Afghans feel and think. You know, the peace should be an Afghan peace. And I agree with you. I don't know what is going to come next. I, uh, I work closely with my husband, but somewhat independently. I do my bits. I listen to women. I listen to young people and all this. But the, I am neither, I'm, I, I say it in Dari neither selected nor, uh, nor elected. So I don't have the uh, uh, capacity or the uh, prerogative. I don't have the prerogative to be involved in, uh, uh, in uh, the details of uh, government. Okay, So I, I cannot answer your question. But I can assure you that my husband is very serious about having an Afghan-led, Afghan-owned uh, thing. The situation is complex. We have a lot of countries around us. And each one is involved in one way or another. Uh, my husband has developed what he likes to call strategic patience. And uh, uh, eventually, he will get his way. And we, we just, but I, as I said, you know, I don't even call the Doha talk peace talks. But we got something out of it. We got people discussing. We got people talking to each other. We got people to. Uh, become uh, unified on their position. It was a great, uh, a great uh, achievement. So we need to, like this, take everything that comes to us, kind of turn it to our advantage. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you so much to for having me with you this process. Thanks for joining us for another curated conversation from CSIS. Tune in next week for more, and remember, you can explore all of our events online at csis.org.